Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And today, we're finally answering my question, what is the Unimind? Excelsior. I gotta say, I think this brings us the most concrete version of the Unimind we've gotten. Well, that was carefully phrased. I, uh, that was, we set up some suspense at the beginning. By the end of this, <laughs> will I be satisfied with the explanation of the Unimind? I don't even know yet. We'll find out. We'll hash it out. You, but you sound very confident. I am very confident. I, I think, I think I have the most best, bestest, mostest grasp of what the Unimind is is and or could be after reading this doesn't say anything about what happened before don't don't even get me started on any of it even though i think i had a a more willing acceptance of its nonsense than you did right well i guess we should say today we are reading um the most recent eternals comics to date of uh time of this recording uh the run that is by kieran gillen and drawn by a bunch of guys, including um, Asad Ribich. Did I say that right? Yes. Asad Ribich. The, the, the great Asad Ribich. And yes. a bunch of other artists. When this was originally announced, it was a bit of a, huh, I wonder what that's going to be like. But it was also Karen Gillan's triumphant, I guess, return to Marvel Comics after he said he was pretty much done with work for hire. But Right. When... Oh, I got, okay. Mm-hmm. We, I, this is where I'd like to start, actually. Okay. So the second to most recent time I saw Kieran Gillen in person, and I, you know, I've seen precious few human people in person over the last couple of years. Oh god, uh, yeah. Was in 2017 at Chicago Comic Con, and we had a conversation, and he was already thinking about um about ending uh, his work with Marvel. Mm-hmm. And he was like uh, enough that he was willing to talk about it to me, a relative stranger, and um. <laughs> He was doing Darth Vader at the time, so he still has yet to start his work on Star Wars, but he was already, like, kind of, he was uh, getting ready to launch Die, and he was getting ready to uh, to go fully into creator-owned comics, right? Yeah. But he, the, the answer he gave every single time uh, someone asked him if he'd ever come back and do a superhero comic or something is, um, I feel like I've done so much, I'm only going to come back if it's something really, really different than anything I've done before. And you know what? Eternals is probably about as different as you could get. Well, okay, so this is another thing I'm skeptical about because I do think this is probably the best Eternals comic we've read in this whole read-through and thus de facto ever, right? Yes. I have a soft spot for for the for the first two volumes, but for sure this is like the most cohesive, coherent, and engaging Eternals has ever been. And it's also funny, I guess, so I think it's a weird expectation to set up where uh, every single time Kieran Gillen was like, I'm not going to return to Marvel unless I can do something totally unique and unlike things I've done before. And that's like a crazy expectation because I don't know if I would call Eternals that much of a divergence from um, Young Avengers or uh, I'm trying to, or Journey to Mystery. Hmm. Uh, but uh, but mm-hmm. for uh he's so much stronger of a comic book writer now he's really good at superhero comic pa- i mean he's good at comic book pacing he probably should and occasionally does teach a class on it <laughs> um mm-hmm. 
And he is really good at using like the corporate apparatus of work for hire at like pushing forward uh, themes that he really cares about and that you can he can really do something with the story. So like as a comic book, it's it's fantastic because of how all the lessons he's learned from his previous work and setting it up as like this uh, thing aside was always a bad expectation, I think. Hmm. I see what you mean. I do feel like Eternals, it, it feels very different to me, at least from his other work. It's more or his other Marvel work. It's got more. I guess it's got more of that like grand look. Maybe yeah. I haven't read enough of it of his stuff because I've read Young Avengers. I've read Journey into Mystery. I haven't really read Iron Man and his other X Men stuff prior to him returning. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the other the other influence on this Eternals run that you can feel so strongly is the Jonathan Hickman X Men. Yes, influence like, yeah. like um, and this is funny too because Hickman had been doing all those tricks, including have you read Secret Warriors yet? One day we mm-hmm. need to read Secret Warriors. I finally did. You finally did. At the very beginning, he literally shows you a map of the whole plot of the comic you're about to read, the whole series. It's like a pretty long series too. It's longer than this. Yeah, 25 issues. Yeah, and um, and all the data pages and the foreshadowing, and just like all that stuff Hickman was doing back then when he was getting a co-author credit with Brian Michael Bendis because they're just like, we're not sure about this Hickman cat. <laughs> he needs the Bendis shine or else maybe he won't sell an issue. And mm. yeah, and then his X-Men was the best thing, was like the, uh, the crystallization of his style after a long, long time. And here's Kieran Gillen being like, I like that. Let's put a bunch of data pages and maps in. Yeah, and for the Eternals, it works because they're so globe-spanning and just so complicated that you could just be like, here's a data page. Here, here's the a fun breakdown of it where we don't have to have a bunch of talking heads. Yeah, and the, the success of this comic is that I'm not sure how much I like this as like Eternals the property that ties into other Eternal stuff, but as a sci-fi story, it's really cool. It's like a good sci-fi comic. Yeah, yeah. It's got intrigue, it's got mystery, it's got characters I actually like. The world is even interesting. Like, uh, this is the first time I felt like the locate, like Olympia and uh, Lemuria and stuff are like real places that I would be interested in going to. Yeah, and they feel uh, both of and not part of the world. You know, they're meant to be set apart. And even in like some of the captions, it's like, stuck in a six second time loop off dimension. And I'm like... Okay, cool. <laughs> like that's all uh, I needed. That and that seems like a like a Jason Aaron vibe to me is when um the little detail tells an entire one sentence story. Yeah. For sure. And all these maps do too. I love them. I love them so much. I'm very glad that Hickman has kind of normalized this in a way that's less here's just 12 pages of a journal entry at the end of an issue like Alan Moore did, <laughs> which I appreciate, but also sure. I'm like, I don't want to read all of this text at the end of my issues as interesting I, as it might be. It's a little like too a dr- much. As like a Dracula fan, I, I like the epistolary. Uh, that's, that's true. That's but, true. but yeah, this is, uh, this is so much more of an advanced, like uh, move with that technique. Mm hmm. And it's um, varied. He doesn't do the same thing over and over again like some of the X writers have been doing. It's like, here's a data page. And again, it's just a journal entry. I'm like, 
this gives me nothing. And this that was uh, one of the things you could see in young every Young Avengers issue. I think there's 12 issues in the run. Every issue has one image, which is usually a double page spread that's doing something with comics format that I'd never seen before. Mm. So like, uh, yeah, Kieran Gillen, pretty good at, uh, at, at using all the tools in the toolbox. Um, mm-hmm. But and the, the other guy I really want to get into is like, so a, if, if they said Kieran Gillen on Eternals with, uh, I don't know, uh, like Jim Lee or something, I would, I would be like, oh, word, that's kind of weird. But when they set aside Ribbage, I was like, okay, well, I think I've even done that. I, I reacted that way on this podcast. I think you did, yeah. Where I was just like, and Desad Rivich, I'm g- gonna read that because he is great. There's no one like him. There really isn't. Every every page is is interesting and different, and I think he was the right pick for this. Even if sometimes I'm like, ah, I did not like those faces. Yeah, sometimes the faces are a little lumpy and gross, but they're always expressive. Yes, yes, and it doesn't feel off so much. You're like, okay, yeah, that. That tracks. It feels a little bit cartoony, and his mm-hmm. style isn't otherwise very cartoony. Uh, but like the way their entire like, uh, if people are saying something ugly, they tend to look uglier. Mm, that's true. I'm also just like I was flipping here through, and this there's this page where uh, Icarus everything is uh, is blue behind him, and um, Zurus everything is red. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's like perfect framing for helping the image be coherent on the comic page. Just like A-plus comics make it. A-plus indeed. He knows how to frame a page. So good at it. He knows how to frame a page, and it's like all the little ways he's guiding your eye to look at what he wants you to look at when you he wants you to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that could, that makes like a, a line on the bottom left corner feel like a magic trick sometimes because he just like makes it appear before your eyes because you were so distracted by the lines going to the right. Mm-hmm. And it's rarely overly busy. I think that that's a problem with like some artists. You're just like, there's too much going on here. He does but the manga is... thing. Yeah. Where where background details are like very, or just unimportant details are very sparse and things that are in focus will be drawn with much more detail yeah there's a bit of a haze to everything all these crystals in the background of the opening sequence uh don't even have have much texture but you get what they're supposed to be yeah yeah they're there they they do what they're supposed to do and you're not just sitting in a formless void yeah all right let's let's get get moving into what so what is the this eternal series but before we do there's a list of names that i gotta read off Yeah, uh, not insubstantial. Yeah. Even though the majority of the actual series was done by a core team, um, there were a few specials that happened in between, as Karen Gillan is wont to do. He's talked about this. Uh, That's a good way to uh, let the artist have uh, some catch-up time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it works beautifully. So this entire thing was written by Karen Gillan. Uh, it was illustrated by Asad Ribich for issues 1 through 10 and issue 12, uh, with Guillaume Villanova on issues 9 and 11. Uh, Dustin Weaver did the Thanos Rises uh, one-shot. Kei Zama did the Celestia one-shot. And Ryan Bodenheim with Edgar Salazar uh, did the art on The Heretic. Uh, Ryan Bodenheim sadly passed away during the illustration of the issue, so it's partially illustrated by him and it's dedicated to him. I forgot about that. Yeah. 
that's why there were two artists on it instead of just one. The Celestia one-shot was inked by both Keizama and Livesay, uh, and then issues 1 through 12, Thanos Rising and Celestia, were colored by Matthew Wilson, and Chris O'Halloran did the coloring on The Heretic, and longtime collaborator Clayton Cowles did all the lettering. Damn. <laughs> yeah. That was not as bad as... We've, we've done worse. Uh, oh, we will do worse. We and have and will. Yep. But it's nice having a pretty consistent art team on these with the occasional breaking for, you know, important reasons. I like I like that approach to comicking. I know it's not always feasible in like corporate comics, but it's nice to have the consistency. Absolutely. And, and like uh, building that in to, you know, there's going to be a special issue is like getting an annual a couple times a year. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it just like and it feels great. Yeah. So what is this Eternals run? How do we start? Do you like the start? Right. I, so the first time I read this, when this originally was coming out for the first time, um, I did not like the start of this. And I was reading it issue to issue. But at some point, probably around issue like four, I missed four, an issue. And you know how it is. And then I, I had, it took a long time to come back to it. Mm-hmm. But then when Judgment Day started spilling in my X-Men... Uh, and they announced that Kieran Gillen would be coming to X-Men after uh, he came off Eternals, I decided to like go back and really give that a read. Mm -hmm. And that time I really liked it from the beginning, especially now that I could see the shape of his plans going into Judgment Day so much more clearly. Yeah, I think it helps to kind of have a, a somewhat of an idea going forward of what's where this is coming from. Yeah, so he, he starts with Icarus uh, being resurrected. And this is the first time um, resurrection has been a part of the Eternals like this, right? In any meaningful way, yeah. Uh, resurrection, like we, it was kind of introduced. We had a few times in, in the 80s and the 90s when resurrection happened, but it was always like, oh no, they weren't actually dead. Their molecules were scattered and whatever. But the resurrection procedures were... They were introduced in the Gaiman JRJR comic, and then nothing was really done with it. I think we touched on it a little bit when we did the Thor, the Deviant Saga. This, But this is where, like, it's codified. It's like, all right, they're being resurrected. There is a mechanism for resurrection. This is how the Eternals are eternal. Which is great because so often in comics, I feel like uh, you have this confusing title that doesn't exactly explain or, or deceives you, leads you in the wrong direction. And so mm -hmm. being like, people are going to open the Eternals. First things first, what does it mean that they're eternal? Mm -hmm. It's the first word they see. It's the first thing we should explain. Yeah, for sure. Especially because, you know, if they're eternal, but they can be killed. Well, what's up with that? Yeah. That was, that's and... been a problem since Kirby. <laughs> And uh, foreshadowing a little bit where it's all going to end up, the ways it parallels how X-Men has been using Resurrection mm. also now seems obvious and much more interesting because I, I know where it's going. That's true. Um, and the other character we meet in the opening uh, moments of this series is the Machine Called Earth. Yes, you have thoughts about the Machine Called Earth. So when I said I started this uh, series and I didn't much care for it, the machine called Earth was was my problem. <laughs> too much talking, too much snark. I yeah, he's the machine is too cute by half, and the joke is like how contemporary and perpetually online 
it, it seems to be right like it, i even when you get the uh now famous page listing all the eternals there's like a japanese shrug emoji yeah the ascii the ascii one yeah uh and yeah it just like talks in memes it makes like weird pop culture references and i guess i don't object to this character but i find the tone completely at odds i, I and i understand that the ads at odds are the point but that really I, I did not like that and still it's something i've learned to tolerate that's something i've learned to like I'm the opposite. I loved it from the get-go. <laughs> I like the snarky narrator. I just like it. I have no deep reason for, for how how it works. I think it, it helps offset the seriousness of all the other characters. Because even like the, the sillier characters in the story, we don't have someone like the machine. We don't have that pure comedic relief, zany character. Even sprite who's kind of you know flighty and all over the place and the youngest of them all or cersei the party girl we don't get so much from them they're they are pretty serious characters in this run uh and having the i guess the the valve of the machine popping in every so often and making a a snide comment or or being a little bit more silly is fun because we've always had these really self-serious narrators in almost every other Eternal story that had one. Even though the, the the parts where I like the machine called Earth the best are parts where it gets more serious and becomes a real character. Mm. Also, I get the vibes much better now that we've read a zillion Eternals comics. But, <laughs> uh, but I think the machine called Earth and like what it is is a little confusing, especially because... If you've read Thor from almost 20 years ago, Jesus, um, there was a big plot twist where it turns out his mother was Gaia and the Earth, and he had all these Earth powers because of that. Mm-hmm. And, like, the relationship between Gaia and the machine called Earth, and, like, is the machine called Earth, like, a, or, and Gaia, two avatars for the same concept, it just starts begging these questions that the story's never interested in answering, so I don't know why the Eternals has to be. I mean, I guess. I, I mean, part of the explanation for the machine called Earth is Sprite kind of created it when she rewrote reality, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, that's the idea. And I'm, I'm not like the the origin of it is less to me uh, the problem than um than just the whole thing with the Eternals being the Eternals and the gods coexist, and you're like, but but why? Well, it's the way that Eternals writers keep taking this big swing and they're like, all right, we're finally going to explain what the Celestials are. All right. And then every other Marvel series is like, uh, we're not going to no one read that. So the Celestials are whatever we want them to be. Mm. And the machine called Earth feels like that. It's kind of if this like weird snarky Kieran Gillen monster remains the Earth and other characters encounter it. And that becomes like a significant feature of the Marvel Universe is that Earth is a machine and it's like a cute R2-D2 guy. Mm-hmm. I could get used to the idea, but it's how it it, it doesn't uh, gel with the tone of this story, and I haven't seen how it bounces off other Marvel characters and situations. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was like, I could try to no-prize it, but I don't think I have a satisfying answer. I could no-prize it, too. Like, it's, it's fine existing as it is, but it's just not that interesting to me unless, like... I get how uh, Johnny Storm would feel if it had to have a conversation with the machine called Earth. Oh, yeah. And I can't picture that. Johnny Storm does no. not seem like he lives on the same Earth that is a machine called Earth. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of the problem with that character is it becomes more interesting when you see 
it, it, as the machine does when we get to Judgment Day. Mm. As it has relationships with more characters. Yeah, like Iron Man. Like Iron Man, and uh... I love how Iron Man has become has it like is a de facto eternal supporting character <laughs> throughout the years. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. I, it, it's weird too because um, like Iron Man wasn't cool until 2008. Oh yeah, that's true. Goodness, the Eternals are an Iron Man supporting character now. Uh, that's what that's what we've gotten out of this. Yeah, it wasn't Iron Man hooking up with Cersei. Maybe they did go on a couple dates during this. But Cersei did a lot of people in this. <laughs> um, yeah, which is which is an interesting thing. Um, we've been going on a long time about a uh, background for this. Do you want to talk about one more thing, which is the famous list of the Eternals, and uh, yes. go through that before we take a commercial break? Yeah. Um, all right. All right. So yeah, you describe what we're seeing here. So the, it's like the fourth or fifth page of the uh, first issue of this new Eternal series for. You know, since the beginning, Kirby kind of talked about how there were a hundred Eternals, and we only met like ten of them. And then for the rest of the Eternals' life, we are really only got to meet, you know, six or seven new Eternals with like names. There were a bunch of people we saw in the background and and whatnot. Uh, I'm exaggerating. I think there probably were uh, twenty to twenty five that were actually like had names. Uh, and showed up and were somewhat important. I think at 20, you'd be hard-pressed to find 20. Mm, That's true. We could probably go through this list and be like, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. Right, but but this nails down, um, there are 100 Eternals. Mm -hmm. We get a bunch of, we get a a bunch of them are familiar, some of them are unfamiliar, and some of them are still secrets. Yes, yes. We, We, even as of the end of the series, we have not gotten a couple identified and they're also grouped which is really interesting because now you understand that there's different i I don't even know what to call them it's not teams exactly it's not like nations but there's different divisions of the the eternals who have different beliefs and different factions yeah factions and uh, purposes and how they believe they can best like serve the celestials Mm -hmm. and we really had only met two the olympians and the polarians i guess the Polar Eternals, of which we met Vulcan, Viraco, and Icarus. But until here, I didn't realize that Druig and Legba were both considered Polar Eternals. Yeah. What? So explain to me, what's the difference between the... Why are there Olympian and why are there Polar Eternals? They lived in a different city. But why do they... <laughs> I guess, yeah, we'll talk about the schism. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you meant, like, the, the bigger thing. Yeah, but... Well, uh, so next on, down there is uh, the exclusion and um Lucivia. that's new right yes and i think karen is also new i feel like we met, must have met a guy named karen but maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe but then the interesting thing is right ab- below that is a, a bunch of like code letters excluding certain Eternals from, as we find out, getting resurrected. Mm-hmm. But that's a great mystery set up right there, and I, one of the reasons why these data pages rule. Mm-hmm. And of that list, two we still don't know the identity of. Yeah, the ones who we know we don't know, and we don't know if we know the ones that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there might there might be one or two that we uh you know that that we have met before. Although who knows. 
Oh, did there he is? There's Rx. Uh, where's Rx? There we go. Uh, on Polaria, I was like, "Is is Kieran gonna make Rx and Ajax actually different characters, even though they were identical <laughs> in in the appearance?" And yes, they are two different characters now. But yeah, th- that's I found this whole thing great because it codified a lot of the Eternal names and and stuff, and didn't and made it feel more more concrete. Uh, and also, this is a great summary of what are what's the Eternals about? Well, yeah, a what's long, their job? What do ago, they do all day? Yeah, a long, long time ago, alien space gods came to Earth. They made a hundred Eternals. They made a hundred Deviants. They left. Only death is eternal. <laughs> True. Walk me through here. So uh, on the right side of this, there's like a whole list of different ones, different factions, and I can explain some of them. But we got the Oceanic Watch. What are what are they about? They're one of the ones I'm not so sure on. So they are. I think this was something that Karen Gillen did more work on. But essentially, there were three, the three brothers at the beginning. There was uh, Uranus, there was Kronos, and there was Oceanus. Very much like that Greek mythology. And, you know, we had read in What If about the, the Uranus and Kronos fight. Kronos becomes one with the universe. He, he nuts and turns into stars. Uh, Uranus flies off to his, his planet. He flies off to Titan. And then, you know, everything goes bad when the Kree attack. But Oceanus, I think, was introduced here as kind of this third, and he basically is like, I don't want any part of this. Bye bye Got it. So and... the, the three brothers are like the... Uh, uh, splitting up is like the three biggest factions, right? Because everything else here mm-hmm. sounds much more, uh, like, job-oriented. Because then we get the Celestian Priests, and the, the, what their name is what they do. Uh, Ajak and Makari and all these other guys all um, interpret the teachings and the followings and the commands of the Celestials. Mm -hmm. The Titanos Hermits are, I guess, the survivors of the faction that went to Titanos to, like, do mad science? Yes, I believe so. And I think also, I think all of these are are location-based, like location and alliance-based, which is why Icarus is under the Olympia side, even though, like, that's where he's based. He's staying in Olympia. He's doing stuff in Olympia currently, but he is a polar eternal, as we we found out in His previous... origin is... Yeah. The Lemurian mission is one of the more interesting things Kieran Gillen codifies, which is just Thena trying to end the, the fight between Eternals and Deviants, because, like, why? We could all be friends. There's 200 of us total. Mm-hmm. That's and Corifos. Yeah, and Corifos, who is great in this. Of, of course, the um, of course the Lumerian ones are are likable and cool. Yeah, the Gaian sisters are kind of uh, three in one fates dealy, right? Yeah, that that's pretty explicitly what they are. Kieran Gillen loves those. Fun to have those. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Forgotten is uh, the list is left done by the Forgotten one, who we all know is the cool, one of the cooler Eternals. And then these other guys throwing in, oh yeah, there's three other Eternals who got forgotten, is um, another <laughs> interesting piece of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And I love how he also is like, Gilgamesh is not his eternal name. That's just what everyone calls him. Yeah, we, that's very funny as well. Mm-hmm. Like, Gilgamesh was real. We know him. He's fun. They dated. <laughs> uh, the Damocles Foundation is kind of the Eternals who are like, evil finance bro manipulators oh yeah 
Yeah. One's just Electron. <laughs> That's a good one. Th- these uh, names you... are very funny. They I, are I very can't... funny. You skipped the tricks. I Well, I did that on purpose because I wanted to come back Ooh. to you. The tricks is such a cool idea, which is these four guys with like crazy names that are unlike all the other Eternals. And they seem to be like the Eternals that are permanently given the role of being like criminals and black market dealers and smugglers and stuff and assassins. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I like the idea that in their, the order of their society, there are these four disorderly beings and they are respectively Jack of Knives, the Knight Ungallant, the Queen of Maces and Ivani Golden Touch. And that's such a, like, I kind of want the tricks comic more than I want any other Eternals thing that fucking rules. It does. They do rule. And they're cool. It helps that they're all cool. Mm-hmm. And um, the final, like, real group on this is the Hex. They're all classified, and they have, like, a very scary, uh, what is that, like, a, th- a star of Thule, like an Aleister Crowley uh, symbol? Something like that. And what the Hex are and, like, how they operate and stuff ends up being one of the more interesting parts of the run. So I, I, very, I was very excited when I knew who they were and seeing them hidden again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that's one of the places where I think he really calls a shot. He's like, well, they're classified. You'll find out maybe. And we do in a big way. Oh, yeah. And then we've got Location Unknown, who has maybe the best names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got Aura of the Pandemonium Box, Zero hyphen XXII, and then Louise Three Fingers. And then also parentheses, all records lost, which I think is just a description. I don't think that's a name. I think that's a name. I think there's an Eternal called All Records Lost. Okay. The reason why I think that is because on this list, there are 101 names. Oh, no. Not 100. I never counted. That's crazy that you counted. I did did recount. um, And there are, in fact... 101 names here if you don't count all records lost i think all records lost pushes it to 102 because the delphin brothers are four right and then all the rest of the names add up to 100 and and whatever what do you make of that what does that mean well we we find out We'll, we'll get to that after the break Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And welcome back. We are talking Eternals. And I guess if we're talking about the plot of Kieran Gillen's Eternals, we need to start with Icarus, who is like an arrow. This is my favorite little bit of writing in a, in this, I think in all these issues, but the returning to the motif that Icarus is like an arrow, he's like simple and he's pointed at something and he's going to move until something stops him. Yep. It's almost, it's like Newtonian uh, how he proceeds through the story and calling that shot is great because you always understand what Icarus is doing as like an engine of driving the plot because his motivation is so predictable. Mm-hmm. And it helps, I guess that whole conceit 
is perfect for the Eternals because Karen can then do it for the other characters. Be like, here's the basic gist of this character. Like, if all else, you know that they're going to act in this way. They're going to act like a snake. They're going to act like, you know, whatever the hell Zerus is. <laughs> and I like This is also, like, the part of the narration I like more is um, the empathetic uh, voice trying to explain all this complicated shit really fast. Mm-hmm. Is appreciated. Yeah. And these first issues, as you said, are a murder mystery. They are. Uh, although... Interestingly, in the first issue, we don't, it's not really a murder mystery for the beginning because first we have to reestablish where the Eternals are in the universe. And I think Kieran Gillen does this masterfully. And I didn't even notice it when I first read it. I was like, it works for brand new readers and it works for people who haven't read previous Eternal stuff because this picks up after, you know, Sprite rewrote the universe to make everyone, to make basically all of the Eternals human and then they had to figure out what they were doing from that and then in jason aaron's run all of the eternals died all of them when they found out that they had been lied to by the celestials about who was actually important on earth instead of it being you know an experiment a three-part experiment they were purely there to clean up a celestial mess but we can hand wave that because of the reality rewriting deal no no that was after Oh, that's that's right. That was because yeah. of the, after, after and the game. that's where the resurrection machine comes in. They've been resurrected, and they've been. And in Sprite's case, Sprite's been reset to a previous version, a uh, previous save state, if you will. So she comes out, and she's like, "Look at all this stuff!" And Sprite's like, "Oh no, my mind's been reset. What did I do?" And the understanding of that uh, retroactively helps explain the mood mm-hmm. in Eternals. Yeah, it really that does. Paranoia, that, that sense of paranoia when Sprite realizes, oh, my mind's been rewritten. Well, that's uh, a little troubling. Like, never really goes away. No. Even though she kind of takes it in stride. Uh, and also, one of the other interesting things about the Resurrection Machine and this run is that we bring the characters more in line with the movie version. So the characters, is they change how they look. They've changed genders. Uh, all that stuff, and it's not really addressed textually. I mean, they admit they're like, we change because we're Eternals, which is interesting because they're also unchanging. Well, only, that's kind but of only death thing. is eternal. But only death, that's true. That's true. Which is such a zippy line. You can say that as a response to just about anything in the book. You can, you can. And we're also introduced to the three principles, one of which is correct excess deviation. And it becomes like this overriding, basically like, I guess, programming. Yeah, it's like the, the, the first order of operations. Yeah, which, again, great way of kind of solidifying these things that were always left, you know, nebulous. It's like, well, why are they doing this? What are they doing? Like, well... When you reach a certain point, just like instinct in the Eternals take over. They cannot fight it. Yeah. And, and this is also um, the your mind being taken away from you. Horror is really fun and cool when it starts going down. Mm-hmm. But also another way that it's uh, paralleling Krakoa, right? Oh, yeah. It really is. Because you don't know. There, but there, there's th- there's three laws. Oh, we like our three laws. There's the three laws of robotics. 
we we just like our three laws. Yeah, I guess we. You're right. We do have a a very clear source to thank, and that's Isaac Asimov. Mm-hmm. But as far as the end of the first issue, we finally get. Oh, hey, Zurus is dead again, and the machine is broken. Yeah, and th- that also is very funny because there are a bunch of Kieran Gillen comics that start with a murder mystery. It's just like a good hook. It does what you need it to. Yeah, and it lets you visit different different areas. Yeah, you get to talk. You get the interviews with the character. You get to see, and and that's also why he sets up Icarus as an arrow. He's just gonna keep on trying to solve this murder mystery, and of course, it ends up being more of a murder mystery than he even realizes by the end. Yeah, yeah. And this is also so the the, the ending, the resolution of the first arc. Mm-hmm. It, that is where um. I, that's where this book really starts to work for me because we find out. I mean, is it okay if I jump to the end of the the, the first six issues? Yeah, I just, before we get there, it also <laughs> provides the really nice uh, way to do kind of a getting the band back together tour. Yeah, of all of these different locations, they go to uh, Titanios, uh, which was the the capital city of the the Eternals before. The first major split, uh, you, we get to go to Lemuria. We get to go to all these different locales. As you know, you 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 walk the beat. You find the suspects. You try to figure out what's going on. And for something as as both sprawling and you know close knit as the Eternals has always been, it's a great way to give us a broad overview and slowly build it out again, and then be able to work from there to to kind of advance and and deepen whatever thread you want yeah it, yeah it's just like it's really elegant but this is what i'm saying with the these are old tricks that I, we've seen Kieran Gillen use before but mm-hmm. uh he's really uh got them down to like a a real fine control mm-hmm. yeah so the machine is broken yeah and we don't know who did it but in at the end of issue one we're basically told oh yeah it was thanos which rules because I think Thanos being connected to the Eternals is pretty much the Eternals' biggest hook right now for most people, as Thanos was the uh, ultimate uh, antagonist of the highest grossing movie franchise of all time, seen by the most living humans on Earth. He was inevitable. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Crazy. Oh my god, if I think about that movie one more time, I'm going to go insane. But Thanos has been had, had like... What a what a crazy few years Thanos had had. He had been brought back. He'd been sent to the future. He'd been killed at least five times. And most recently, he had been dead again. He'd been thrown into a black hole. And now, yeah. so that's a great hook, too. It's like, well, how the heck is Thanos back? How can he do all of these things that supposedly only the Eternals can do? He's not technically an Eternal. But, uh, well, that, that ends up being a major plot point, too. Yeah. I love it, the way uh, Ribbit draws Thanos too. Yeah, I loved it in um, Secret Wars, and I love him here. Yeah, I love how Thanos ends up being kind of the core of the story, and everything is orbiting around him. Yes, even though he's not there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so we, we get to the end of the of the first six issues, and there have been these uh, interesting kind of the old guard style flashbacks to when the Eternals were being internal else times. Mm-hmm. And we specifically see the uh, the impact Icarus had on this like one young boy who stayed on this beach his entire life guarding it. Mm. 
just I thought this this was really effective as a, all the way through the first arc and the way this pays off at the end is there's this we've been following this boy this human boy and we don't know what he has to do with the score story and we just know that he's going to die and Icarus is going to feel bad about it so he's like I will protect him I refuse to let this happen and this is when the Eternals discover in a real way and we the readers discover that the quirk of what makes them eternal is it's a life for a life. Every time an Eternal gets resurrected, a human dies randomly. Mm-hmm. And right there, that's the hook that was missing. Like X-Men have resurrection and uh, lots of Marvel characters are long lived. But what's the thing with the Eternals? If they die and they come back, it's not free. The price is that... They can't choose whether or not they get resurrected and uh, someone will be killed every time. And if they're not down with that too bad, that's part of being an Eternal. Yeah, which is pretty messed up. Really messed up. But now I have an emotional like sci-fi hook that I'm all behind. I really get Icarus's motivation to change this situation, which is untenable to him, or to never die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he has two options. He's like, well, I just won't die. Yeah. And everyone else is like, but you can't do that. And Icarus is like, shut up. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And now you get why people want to sabotage the resurrection, break the machine, put the machine together, control the machine, perhaps with a Unimind, if that's what the Unimind does. Mm hmm. And that and we find out that essentially it was uh, Fastos who was the one that essentially was breaking the machine in an attempt to fix it so that what he learned could not be you know, true anymore. Which is um, one of the more interesting, if uh, clumsily handled plot points in the film. Yeah. Is Fastos trying to make something better, but like... But failing. He's like a tinker. He, he breaks stuff and tries to put it back together, and sometimes it's imperfect. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it was never going to work in the first place. Well, and it, it's always dramatic, you know, the most dramatic thing, which is it doesn't do uh, what he does, the something ironic, the opposite of what he intended. Mm-hmm. And that's why, uh, so let's talk about when Thanos arrives here, because that's when you want to get into Unimind stuff, right? Yeah, I get, oh, in, in arc two? Yeah, starting at the beginning of the second arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get there, so Festus is taken out by, by Druig, who's basically made a deal with Thanos uh, in order to gain power, which, again, this version of Druig is much better than what we saw in, like, the, the Gaiman Eternals uh, and the and the, the Nauf Eternals stuff because he, he feels like a character. He feels like a schemer. He's He's got that kind of... He's not a trickster, but he's very much like... Uh, he wants power and he'll do it however however he can get it. But he's much... He's more of a charmer. Like, he'll whisper in people's ears to, to real, get them uh, to do what he wants. A real Grima worm tongue. A real... All yes. the guys who Darth Vader chokes out on the bridge of the spaceship. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a good position for him because he's not. It makes him not just Loki light. Yeah, it makes him not Loki light slash Maximus light slash mm-hmm. because he's also bad at it. <laughs> right, like he tries, and he's always kind of get he, like he's winning, and then he kind of loses because he he really doesn't know what to do with the power. But it's a classic villain setup that now makes mm-hmm. much more sense. The Star Scream too. Yes, he is the Star Scream. Um, he's never, he's never the main scary villain who the heroes are scared of at any given time, but he's probably responsible for them doing whatever the evil thing they're doing. Yes. Yes, for sure. So before we get to Thanos, Tony Robson, Robson, 
He dies. Right. He dies specifically to resurrect Icarus. Yeah, and that... What a gut punch. What a gut punch. It's really well set up. He doesn't uh, tip his hand until the reveal. And yeah, and then I just, I understood what this meant to Icarus because of how well written that section was. Mm-hmm. And then we don't just like dismiss it. We we Throughout the rest of the series, that remains a problem. In addition to Icarus and, and a bunch of these Eternals essentially leaving... The Eternals, they're like, we can't be here anymore. We can't be a part of this system. Yeah, and that's and that's the I guess that's the arc of these twelve issues is them trying to uh, liberate themselves from this existence that they disagree with. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. That's relatable, and that's a uh, human, and that's like a real motivation that makes sense. And the fantasy sci-fi stuff is simple and to the point, and the emotional stuff is what's complex. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It is really good. All right, so then they build the Unimind. What the fuck is the Unimind, Elias? Uh, what is the Unimind here, or what is the Unimind in general? If that's if the answer to that is not the same, then this comic did not explain what the Unimind is to me. Fine, fine. The Unimind is a media. Well, I think that Karen Gillan does a great job of taking what Kirby intended the Unimind to be, and like realizing, actualizing it, because he turns it into it is the deliberative body. All the Eternals are called into it. You enter the Unimind, a decision is made, you leave, the decision stands, because it was the decision of the group. And every other time that someone, that they used the Unimind and they did it, that was not part of it. Like, it was always just this big thing that shoots beams, because it is more powerful. But it really was, it was a deliberative body. It was, they come to a consensus, and then they leave. And that's how it's used here. You know, anytime a decision has to be made for the Eternals, they gather, they become form the Unimind, and then they they make that decision. And, you know, that decision could be we need to blast whatever it is with our Unimind power because all of these Eternals are here in one place, so it's concentrated. But it is all about the decision of the group. Yeah, and I guess... The thing that is left a little uh, ambiguous to me coming out of it mm-hmm. is like, so is it in X-Men, there is this plot device where every year the psychics just like pool all the mutants minds together and pull votes from that. And the like collective intention of the mutants is what selects the X-Men. Mm-hmm. The Unimind seems to be much more of a thing where like a particularly powerful mind or personality can like wrest the consensus away from the others. Yeah, there is that built-in thing that Karen Gillan introduces. He's like, this is why these characters are not allowed to enter the Unimind. I guess the other thing that the Unimind is, is the Unimind is kind of like the, not the operating system, like the BIOS of the machine called Earth in a way, because a large part of the arc of the action of the second arc is them deliberating how to change the machine called Earth and thus how to change, like, the Eternals' powers. Mm. Like, how, how like, the process and uh, procedure for resurrection. Mm-hmm. And the Unimind is, like, the, the interface through which they can edit their own powers. It's kind of, it's an interesting sci-fi idea. It's not clear or sensible in any respect. <laughs> But are is there anything in the Eternals that's clear and sensible? Yeah, that every time they die, uh, they're resurrected and a human being dies. That's clear. <laughs> that's very clear and compelling. That is a one-sentence elevator pitch that I would go see a movie. If they're just like, 
yo, Keanu Reeves is in this movie where he finds out that every time he dies, some kid dies somewhere in the world and he's freaking out. I would go see that this weekend. Mm, fair. But if you told me there's a movie where Keanu Reeves enters the Unimind and he tries to come to consensus, but sometimes he can't come to consensus because the fabric of our reality is actually written by the Unimind. And so a strong enough personality can, uh, just like, I'm not seeing that movie. Mm. All right. All right, fine. I like the Unimind in this comic, but uh, I, I like the story with the Unimind in this comic. I don't think I like the Unimind yet. But it doesn't make that much sense. Doesn't make yeah. that, that much sense. All right. Fair enough. And that's probably why he doesn't lean on it too much. Yeah, well, like I said, a lot of the action in the second arc takes place in and around assembling and then participating in the Unimind. Mm -hmm. But what I like about it is um, I feel like having a diplomatic summit is like an underrated idea for a good superhero story. Mm -hmm. and, and this was like, that's what this felt like, is all the Eternals got to come in to cast their vote and they have to persuade each other. It's just like a good source of drama. It is. And story structure. It is. I don't really know how to approach this second arc because it is a little bit more, not out there, but it, if the first arc was about Eternals and the Eternal Society, the second arc is much more about, you know, kind of the Deviant Society. And, yeah, we got to talk to the Deviants. And, you know, Thanos. We, we, we got Thanos uh, and, like, the sins of the Eternals. Yeah, that is all true. And... Also, um, I really love what Kieran does with the Deviants in this. I think I've always liked the Deviants and they continue to be the best. Mm -hmm. But the, we're, the, like our introduction to the Deviants is we meet one and he's, I, I, and he's making a sculpture out of like rotting meat. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and he's just like getting real like modern art pretentious about it. And he's just like, oh, well, the art is only art because it's ephemeral and watching it decompose is actually like a study of what is and isn't eternal and i was just like oh yeah these guys fucking rule these guys are all like uh college art stoners and i would hang out with every one of them yep talau talau is the artist yeah talau the one who is dating thena yeah uh, yeah and, and what's fun also is we get to see uh Corey Fos and i forgot why am i forgetting her name oh eurydice eurydice maybe but all deviantified? Yeah, I think so. Probably. We get to see them, and interestingly, it kind of implies that some of the Eternal stories did in fact happen 40 years ago, even within the sliding timescale of of the Marvel Universe. Like, that, that story happened. It doesn't matter what the sliding timescale says. Um, which I, I like that choice. And that's the kind of like little continuity massaging that I dig and appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we should probably also mention the specials, which are collected in the third trade. Um, two of them happen in between the two arcs. Uh, Thanos Rises and Celestia. I actually, I think this, before we get to the Celestial stuff and the Judgment Day stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the last big category of stuff we should really uh, talk about and get into with this is the the new revised history of the Eternals, because this was the thing that I disliked the most about reading Eternals, and I like it here. Ooh. Please, uh, elaborate. Also Crow. Of course Crow. Yeah, of course Crow. Don't, don't even with Crow. <laughs> I, I mean, like, uh, the... 
whenever you're reading Eternals, you always feel like their history before their appearance doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And the way their different appearances work together doesn't make any sense. And like this was the movie was really egregious about this where we when we see them in the past they're in like babylon and they save some people from some monsters and i'm like oh so is that what they're doing was just like being generic superheroes but like not enough that anyone would notice them and mm-hmm. the answer is no there's a crazy history of like ideological schisms and civil wars and fucking and killing it's like crazy and this feels like a fantasy world where i'm interested in the I'm interested in this history is like the, is the, the best thing that Kieran Gillen does. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. whole run. I think he really it really does. It's the the reconstruction of of previous events that we had seen, but giving it like narrative weight and meaning here. And when you when you say weight, uh, helping us the reader discern what were the weighty moments because every because mm-hmm. like in those Eternals comics you would see. Uh, like uh, Zeus and Zerus, and they'd be like, ah, but which one of us is which? Should we both live on a place called Olympia or whatever? And you're just like, okay, is this actually like uh, what you think we need to be knowing about the Eternals right now? But yeah. all this shit is like, this is the important stuff. This is, mm-hmm. these are, uh, this is urgent. This affects the characters. This uh, tells them us what makes them tick. Like when Odin tried to beat up the, the Celestials. It's like, yeah. that was an important moment and he failed and his, his device... But his device still had some uh, pieces of the thing. But that's that's Judgment Day related. That is, and as we talk, we uh, draw to the end of this conversation. It's going to get more and more Judgment Day e because the final issues are really crossing over. Yeah, yeah, and I don't really have so much to say about the rest of this. The second half of the Eternals thing because it's most it's a lot of the politicking. It's a lot of like really good deviant stuff we get you know ransack and carcass show up and i like both of them amazing carcass are my boys they roll yeah but i never really liked ransack but here it works okay maybe it's maybe it's just the 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 karen gillen shine and the asad ribich art that really got me into it they're just like big sensitive monster boys they're fun yeah yeah i wish we got a little more of them but I think I just, my final thought on these Eternals comics, even though we'll have some more thoughts, is that I wish we got more of it. I get why it ended where it did, and we'll kind of talk about that when we talk about Judgment Day, but I'm sad that we didn't get to have more arcs. Yeah, especially because I feel like when this got announced it had the weight of like, we're really going for it. We're going to try to make Eternal so vibrant and lively and popular that uh, when Kieran Gillen is ready to hang up his hat again, you're going to demand we do more Eternals. And again, just like uh, the weight of expectations this could never live up to. But mm-hmm. but I, I, if a comic writer who I had uh, pre-existing love for was suddenly like if uh if marjorie lou announced that her next project after monstrous would be an eternals run i would check it out probably yeah yeah we we've been put into a position where whatever comes next could be very exciting and i i like that it doesn't feel like when when they had that standing pose of the new breed where we're like all right yeah this isn't gonna go anywhere it's (laughs) stupid yeah 
Yeah, and this is like, a, we don't know, we haven't met all 101 of those Eternals, and we, they, no. there's still stories to be told. And just like sorting them into lists and giving them a history mm-hmm. really makes them more into a story that I am less resistant to. I can't say like, <laughs> I tried to say I like it, but I couldn't. Uh, I, I will say it. I, I would like it. Uh, but I like this comic. I think this comic is a really good standalone piece of science fiction that mm-hmm. uh, happens to take place in the Marvel Universe. And what small connections it does have to the wider Marvel Universe until the end is um, it's just like garnish. It's just like a little fun treat in your sci-fi story. Yeah. And those specials, some of the best work of this run. Yeah. I love the, the specials. They're Let's, self-contained. The specials they tell enough. little stories. Let's talk about the specials. Okay. So Thanos Rises is basically just a retelling of Thanos's origin and the uh, schism between Thanos's dad and Zerus. I forgot Thanos. Mentor Alars, that was his name. Yeah, Alars is what they call him in this. And it's beautifully, beautifully illustrated. And Sprite has this stupid little pompadour. I, lo- I love Sprite's stupid little pompadour. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. But but also it, he complicates it because originally it was like just this pulp sci-fi thing trying to bring in the Jim Starlin stuff. Yeah. That was the point of the original story. But here he really makes it Eternals focused. He, he's like, all right, how is this an Eternals story? And also planting the idea that like these characters have had their memories wiped before and that's really kind of scary in this case because both Icarus and Sprite are on opposite sides of this war. And when they come back together, they're like, can you imagine if we were on opposite sides? I can't imagine it. <laughs> I, that was both a funny moment and like a like a deeply, deeply uncomfortable, scary moment. Right. And that's the that's the mood that this comic lives the best with. Yeah. I also... um like you said, it reframes the conflict around Thanos as being like an Eternals ideological thing. And we have told the origin of Thanos in the last 10 years, like so many fucking times. Yeah. And, but, th- but this is like the, re- this is what all of those times were, were trying to find. This is what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And it kind of clarified a few of the things that I was confused about in those original what if comics It's like, well, how does... What is the timeline in between all of this stuff? It's like, how is Suisan still alive on Titan? Whatever. Why is she there? I mean, this doesn't really directly address it, but it ties them in. It ties in the quantum bands. Yeah. And you know, I love me, the quantum bands. Yeah. And I don't know. I I was absolutely broken. Maybe not broken, but like that ending. Ugh. Devastating. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's devastating. It's really good. Yeah. Alars is a tragic figure instead of also just, like, this misguided guy who dies. And being, like, yet another Marvel asshole. Yeah, yeah. The tragedy and nobility they find in him early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get the, the, special, the specials rule. Celestia is fascinating because we That's get— That's the place where we spend the least time— you're right, uh, but we get that conversation between Ajax and uh, and Makari, and like basically having a, a religious discussion the whole time, which is such an interesting place to have these characters nowadays. Now, because Makari became a new priest, and it's like this the tension between, you know, new forms of a religion and an old form. 
Uh, and I found that to be one of the most interesting things I read. Yeah. But I, I can't really articulate exactly why other than even though there's a lot of like Avengers beat up bullshit, I love seeing these two people just talk and, and have this like heated theological discussion about you know what uh did did they do the right thing with the avengers in the past what are we doing now that we found out that you know we met our gods and our gods are a lie like what do we do yeah it's meaty stuff it's it, that, and that's what i mean by it being such a successful sci-fi story is mm-hmm. that stuff feels like enormously weighty and 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 the personal touch was always what was missing from those previous eternals comics that was just like half of a college room stoner thoughts mm-hmm. not really taken to much of a conclusion and mm-hmm. this is like this is like great sci-fi yeah. yeah 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 and also that um ajak is much more codified as definitely an asshole god ajak ajak sucks but yeah but in like a part of the ensemble way not in yes. a we have to fight him every single time way yes and that's that's a good position for him or totally. for her now. Yeah, for, yeah. So that brings us kind of to the Judgment Day stuff, and we thought that Judgment Day was so nice, we weren't going to talk about it twice, but give it its own whole episode. Yeah, yeah. Originally, we were going to do it all together, and then we're like, we realized, no, we have way too much to talk about for both the Eternals, as you could tell, uh, and Judgment Day. It's kind of so crazy. Mm-hmm. And we ever thought we were going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to save any of the, like the finale of the Eternals run stuff for Judgment Day as it leads into it? Or do you want to just kind of yeah, I think talk we, about the lead up here? I think we should talk about the lead up alongside the comic, actually. Okay. So that'll be next episode. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the conclusion to the series, which is this massive event, Judgment Day. and um, But it wraps up the story that gets started here. Yeah. So we will see you for that next time. We will be reading Avengers X-Men Eternals Judgment Day. Uh, (laughs) And the whole list is, there's so many damn comics in this uh, that we read. It is Eve of Judgment, Judgment Day 1 through 6, Judgment Day Omega, Death to the Mutants 1 through 3, and then the four one-shots, which is Avengers X-Men Eternals Judgment Day, Avengers X-Men Eternals, and Star Fox. Uh, We're not going to be reading any of the uh, X-Men tie-ins or the Avengers tie-ins for this, because we're just focusing on the Eternals stuff. If you are doing this as like a full read of the thing, I would still read the... uh, x-men stuff at least the karen gillen written stuff basically we're reading everything that karen gillen wrote except immortal x-men uh yeah and it's all great i we've we've read it before we're gonna read it again um it's good comics it's good comics all right so jana where can they find you on the larger interwebs you know, here and there, um, you can find me as a contributor to multiversitycomics.com, where I write about lots of stuff. Uh, my Twitter still exists, and my handle is at rambling underscore moose. I spend more time on Tumblr these days, and that is ramblingmoose.tumblr.com. And I've also been on Reddit a bunch, but I don't need to tell you where. Uh, but if you're making Yellow Jackets <laughs> theories, we've probably met uh, <laughs> Elias. What about you? Where can folks find you on the internet? They can find me, uh, I mean, they can find my handle at Twitter, uh, at Quetzal-ish, Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. I'm 
I say this every time, and I'm like, I'm probably going to leave, but I'm bad at just shutting down the accounts. Um, <laughs> but Twitter is genuinely becoming so much of a dumpster fire. I don't want to. I don't want to be there. Uh, but if you want to contact me, you can uh, email me at erosner at multiversitycomics.com. It's the best place to contact me. God, I can't believe that I'm putting email. Do I need to start up a, a listserv on MySpace, on LiveJournal? Yeah, well, really what, is, what is this? 1999? Set up my forums, my forum posts. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I was on the internet when all those things were things. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. We should, we, should, we should get going soon. But uh, until next time, Excelsior. And we have uh, an editor now because I am very tired and, and not, not, not enjoying editing. Uh, so this episode has been edited or will be edited uh, by Livian Safir. So thank you. and Thank you, Livian. We will see you all next time. Thank you.